Good morning everybody at MAFRA. Um, good to be back with you per medium of the video. Uh, we're starting a new series today. Uh, we finished our series on the growth of the gospel in the book of Acts uh, and now we're starting a series based on Carl Dienick's book, The, the Gathered, uh, Gathering Together, which I've encouraged people to buy and many of you have uh, taken that up and I've still got some copies. If you haven't got a copy yet, please be in touch and I'll make sure you get one. Uh, it's a good book and uh, it's a very helpful book written in the uh, the wake of the COVID problem that uh, really did make changes in how many churches structure themselves and gather and um, and COVID probably revealed what deep down some people actually even think about the church. So Carl Dienick's written the book to focus Christians' attentions on uh, what God thinks about the church and what he's revealed about his purposes for the church in the Bible. And so we're going to uh, preach through a series of six talks, um, encouraging people to read the chapters and get involved in a Bible study group where we'll have uh, Bible studies that are directed to flesh out some of the ideas that we're thinking about uh, in the in the talks and, and in the chapter. Um, so please read it. If you've read it already, read it again because it's a good book. Uh, Peter Adam certainly recommends it. And um, uh, it's an important thing to do to think about the whole purpose of what we do uh, as a church, not just on Sundays, but uh, but the rest of the week as well. So let's pray and let's ask that God helps us as we come to his word today. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. We thank you for the freedom to gather. We thank you for this facility that we gather in. And uh, we pray that you would speak to us now by your word and instruct us about your great purposes for the world uh, through your church for the glory of your son. So we pray that you would help us today to listen well and to take these things to heart. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I've got an outline uh, on the bulletin there, so please follow that along. I'll, I'll read the passage that we're going to talk about uh, in sequence, so we'll we'll, uh, we'll talk about it as we get to it. Um, but what do you believe about church? Um, you might say, I believe in going to church. Now, very often in Australia when people, well, lots of places, when people mention the word church, what they really mean is a building. And so yeah, you, might, you might hear people say, well, I'll meet you at the church, or um, it, the, the church is on the corner, um, turn left at the church. Uh, those sorts of thoughts were un, unimaginable to the Apostle Paul who wrote so much in the New Testament about what the church is and what it should do. Uh, it simply never, ever meant a building in the Bible at all, and so... We need to restructure our thinking if that's at all in our mind. Uh, at MAFRA Community Church, of course, that's probably less of a problem because we don't own a building and so that's one less uh, obstacle to a, a proper understanding because church is what happens in the MAFRA uh, town hall. It's the, uh, it's the gathering that is the church. We'll talk more about that another time. But um, what people believe about church is really important. Uh, what happens when we're together? Does it matter if you don't show up? Do you miss something? Um, I've heard many people who complain about the church and, and criticise it as though that's a sort of a mark of superior spirituality. Um, I've heard people say, well, I love Jesus, but church isn't for me. Um, now, that's no compliment to Jesus because we're told in the Bible that, uh, that, that the church is his body and his bride. Uh, so I've heard it said that uh, to say I love Jesus but don't like church is pretty much the same as, well, imagine what a man would think if he said, well, I like you well enough but I just can't stand your wife. Uh, no proper husband would regard that as any kind of a compliment. 
Uh, I used to be a school teacher and I couldn't tell you how many times on curriculum days or what we call pupil free days, uh, you'd, you'd hear teachers say things like, and I think they only meant it in jest, but uh, schools are pretty good places without kids. Uh, it's just one of those things that turned up all the time. Um, ha ha. Uh, but the thing is, a school isn't a school without kids. So you're asking for something like that. I mean, it's just a flippant, silly, toss away line, but, but it's, it, it's actually pointless because you can't have a school without students. Well, I've heard people say church would be all right if it weren't for people. Well, that's what the church is. It's people. I've heard other people say, oh, I'd go to church, but it's full of hypocrites. Well, the answer to that is join the club. Um, Footy clubs are full of hypocrites, CWAs, universities, schools, uh, businesses. uh, Wherever you go, there's hypocrites. There's people who don't behave as they say they ought. Uh, I've heard people say, I've had this said to me a couple of times, uh, I used to be a Christian and I've got the scars to prove it. Um, Well, yes, churches can at times be bruising places. They can be places of deep hurt. And I think the reason that churches hurt so badly is because we know that's not how it ought to be. And so when it does happen, uh, we, we can be extremely disappointed. There's some places we kind of we're being hurt or being pushed around. You know, well, that's just how they do it here, but it shouldn't happen in church. But um, one, one thing that we need to understand about church is that it's, it's made up of people. There's no escaping that. And they're people every bit as sinful as you are and every bit as in need of understanding as you are. So we go to places and we expect to be understood, but will we extend that understanding to others because that's the nature of the task of church. I overheard a conversation some years ago. I was visiting Sally in hospital and sitting by her bed and uh, a man in a neighbouring bed was talking to a man in the bed across from him And uh, the conversation went a bit like this. He said, uh, uh, are you a Christian? And so the other man said, yes, he was. He said, yeah, I could tell from the way you're talking to another, but you're a Christian. And so the fellow who began the conversation said, I'm a Christian. He says, I'm I'm not a church-going Christian. I'm a Bible Christian. The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Now, I didn't bother getting involved in the conversation. I didn't really have any reason to. But that's a silly comment. Um, one to be dismissed out of hand. It's a view that's possible only in a world where it's easy to get a Bible. Uh, Back in the time when the Bible was first being written, you couldn't be a Bible Christian if you weren't a church Christian because it was the church that you went to to hear Paul's letters. People didn't own their own copy of the Bible as we're able to today. Uh, But where did that man get his Bible? I don't suppose he printed it himself. So he's relying on the efforts of other people. He's in fact sponging off them. Um, But the Bible was written to churches and it was written to help people understand how they needed to live in community. Now, Carl Dienick, in the beginning of his book, on page six, he says, the aim of this book is to help you to love the church. Uh, So do you love Mafra Community Church? Uh, I'm sure many of you do. In fact, perhaps, perhaps you all do. Isn't that good? We should because Jesus loves the church. And if we, if we claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus, then we need to steer our affections in the same direction as his. So the aim of this teaching series is to help us to grow in our love for the church and to grow in our knowledge of what it is and how it does it. Um, so let's press on. Let's read Ephesians chapter 3. 
Uh, so please turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Um, this is the a passage that he deals with in some detail in the book, and so we're going to uh, think it through a little bit. So Ephesians chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 to 6. And so the Apostle Paul writes, For this reason, so for all the reasons, things he's been talking about, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now that's a fairly complex sentence. Paul writes long sentences in the book of Ephesians, uh, and there's a lot there to unpack. But notice how he begins, for this reason. So the He's been saying things in the earlier part of the book and now he has a reason for saying what he's about to say. So he begins to pray, but it's all of a sudden he breaks off and he doesn't resume his prayer until verse 14, as we'll see. And so it's because of the greatness of what the gospel of the Lord Jesus has achieved among his Gentile readers that causes Paul to pray. So he says that this is a mystery. It's the mystery of Christ, he says in verse 3, and it's been revealed by the Holy Spirit to Paul. In other words, he wouldn't have been able to discover this if, if it hadn't been for the Holy Spirit opening his eyes to receive it. Now, a mystery, we, we talk about a mystery film or a mystery, mystery novel, which is one where the suspense builds until all is revealed at the end, but that's not actually what the word mystery means when we see it in the Bible. What it means there is something that can only be known when God reveals it to you. Uh, it's a secret which has been hidden, which has now been revealed. It's a bit like someone's middle name. Uh, I'm Stephen G. Messer. That's uh, my official name. They ask me at the bank, what's your full name? Um, well, G is for Jeffrey, right? So I've revealed it. There you go. Not much to laugh about in that pretty common name. I was named after my uncle, my dad's younger brother, who died age six. So please don't laugh. Uh, but people, you'll only know someone's middle name if they care to tell you about it. Well, a mystery is something that has been secret, that's been revealed. And the, what's been revealed here is, is an aspect of God's eternal purpose, his plan, which can only be known when God reveals it. Now, this revelation, this, the, the re revelation of this mystery has come, says Paul, through the gospel. Now, what's the gospel? Well, very often we'll say it's good news, and it is. So what is the good news? Well, back in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 13, quickly flip back there, um, Paul talks about the gospel as being the word of truth. So it's a message, and it's a true message. Uh, the gospel of your salvation. So it's a message which saves the people that believe it. Um, and it's a message which is guaranteed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when people believe the message of the word of truth, when people receive the Lord Jesus, they're sealed with the promised spirit. Now, in chapter 2, he goes on into a bit more detail. And, and so this gospel message has to do with the fact that people who were once spiritually dead have been made alive in Christ. And so Jesus died on the cross, uh, and through the sacrifice he made of his life for ours, and then through his resurrection, he gives us by his spirit a whole new life. 
And so it's by grace we've been saved. And so Paul elaborates on that in chapter 2. That's the gospel. It, but the, the, the gospel is a message that has to be received and believed and it's sealed by the Spirit. Now, because of that gospel, uh, God, it, it shows us that God's doing a wonderful thing. This, the, the gospel is the means by which we learn the answer to this mystery. So verse 6, Paul explains the mystery. There's three things that come to Gentiles because they've received the gospel. Now, these things are precious possessions and they come to us without favour. Uh, God is a God who gives good gifts to those who receive the Lord Jesus. All these gifts are gifts of grace. But the, uh, Paul wants to, he's writing to an essentially Gentile church. Not many Jews in this church and he needs to help them understand the greatness of what they've received. And so the first gift... The first uh, result of this mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow heirs with the Jews. So in other words, fellow means equal, so that means that there's no advantage in the church in being a Jew or a Gentile, Um, both are fellow heirs. When we think of inheritances and so on, perhaps one of the most famous inheritances in the world is that that was passed on to King Charles when his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, died. And so he has inherited her title He's inherited all that once belonged to her uh, with all the privileges and all the responsibilities that go with it. And so an inheritance is a gift which which, which comes to someone. Uh, it, it's what they receive. In the Old Testament, uh, inheritance was used about the land allotment that the tribes of Israel got. But now land's not the issue. It means joint membership of the church that uh, that God is raising up. And so to press that point home, the second great privilege that Gentiles can now um, receive is that they're members of the same body. Uh, the idea of the body of Christ, you can read about it in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 as well. But to be members of the one body means that, uh, that the Gentiles are equally joined to Jesus who is the head. Uh, the, the body is an image of, of unity and diversity. But uh, previously... In chapter 2, we see that Jews and and Gentiles are at war with each other. They each didn't like each other very much. We're going to think about that next week. But now they've been made one body through the mystery of the gospel. Those who are aliens and alienated from each other are now joint members, equal members. And so the third great blessing is that they're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus came to preach first to the Jews because the Jews were God's chosen people. Uh, but we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that all of, Christ, all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And anyone who comes by faith through the gospel to be made alive in Christ will receive the blessings of those promises. And so the promises that were once given to Abraham that were the, that the privilege of the Jews have now been passed on to Gentiles through the Lord Jesus. And so coming to Christ makes you an Israelite really and so the promises that were once given to Abraham especially that that God would bless the whole world through him uh, through one of his descendants those promises are now the Gentiles privilege as well and so the mystery that Paul wants to point out here is that God is uniting all things that's a theme that he's already brought up now we live in a world that desperately needs unity Uh, after the second world war the United Nations was formed I'll let you be the judge of how successfully they're going at keeping the world united. The world looks desperately fractured. 
place to me. Um, and it's because the most fractured part of God's creation are people. Right? People just have a wonderful way of getting on each other's nerves. And sometimes that turns into fights, squabbles, maybe over the fence with your neighbour. But sometimes it turns into really nasty fights and squabbles with neighbouring countries that we call wars. But God is uniting all things in Jesus, um, including the most divided elements of his creation, which is people. What he's doing is creating a new humanity. The ancient racial barriers are being broken down um, because people now have equal privileges in Christ. Jew and Gentile are coming together. Um, Now, this is not something new because it was foreseen in the Old Testament. So we've seen in Isaiah 56, uh, especially in verses 6 and 7, they've been read to you, I hope, um, that foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to love the name of the Lord and be his servants can come to God's holy mountain, to Mount Zion, where the temple was. Uh, God's house, the temple, was supposed to be a house of prayer for all peoples. Yahweh is the God who gathers the outcasts. Um, So how is all that going to come about? Well, that was the mystery because Isaiah forecast it, but he he wasn't able to say in detail how it was going to come about. But the New Testament authors are quite clear. All that's come about, the unification of, of these warring sections of humanity comes about through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in his death, burial and resurrection and the salvation that flows from that. So there are great privileges that come to the Gentiles through belonging in Christ through the gospel. The privileges of belonging to the family of God, the body of Christ. Uh, equal privileges shared with God's ancient people, the Jews. And so verses 7 to 13 of chapter 3 of Ephesians go on to speak about God's plan for the church. And so at verse 7 Paul writes, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realised in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Um, Last week we were preaching about Paul in prison um, in the the book of Acts. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians while he was in prison in Rome. It's one of the the so-called prison letters. That's what he's suffering. He's asking that they don't lose heart. And so... In verses 7 to 8, Paul claims himself a servant of the message of Jesus for the Gentiles. And this, he says in verse 9, is God's plan. God had always intended to include the Gentiles. The message of of God and his kingdom is not just for the Jews. So what is God's plan? Well, in verse 10, we're told that it's manifold, which means it's many-sided or multicoloured. Years ago, I went uh, snorkelling at a coral reef. It's an extraordinary thing to be underwater uh, with any, the sunlight streaming through and, and the extraordinary array of colours in the fish and the corals was, uh, was just a thing of wonder. That's what manifold means. It means multicoloured. And so God's multicoloured wisdom is being displayed in the church. 
uh, in verse 10. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now that's really quite extraordinary. Uh, God is making his wisdom known through the church, which again is one of the reasons why it's just simply not good enough to call yourself a Bible Christian and not gather, because God's plan can't be fulfilled by a bunch of people who never meet together. God's wisdom, his manifold, multicoloured, multi-sided wisdom is being made known through the church. And so God is realising his eternal purposes through Jesus Christ our Lord, according to verse 11. And, the, and, and what that's doing is letting the powers in, in the heavenly places, both the good, the angelic powers, and the evil, the demonic powers, they're both seeing what God can accomplish, which nothing else can, when people who previously have been at war with each other are brought together and united through the saving work of Christ. This is a thing that I suppose, in a sense, you could say God's rather proud of. God likes what he's accomplished in Christ and, and the effect it has on people. That's why churches need to be diverse bodies, because God is bringing together in a way that nothing else can do people that had previously been um, disunited. So Peter O'Brien, an Australian commentator on the book of Ephesians, he says the very existence of this new multiracial community in which Jews and Gentiles have been brought together in unity in the one body is the manifestation of God's richly diverse wisdom. The church puts on display for the world to an extent, but certainly for the unseen world, the church puts on display the wisdom of God. You can't achieve that on your own. You need to be together. That's what it says here. And so enemies have become friends. They've been reconciled in Christ. Now we hear a lot about reconciliation in our time, don't we? It's a word which, um, which, which comes around a lot. Now for years I went every year to the, uh, the, the Tamworth Country Music Festival and we'd uh, perform up there with the band and uh, various times people would come and ask if they could sit in, if they could do a couple of songs with us. And one time there was an Aboriginal uh, musician who got up and, uh, with his daughter and asked if he could sing a couple of songs and he had his guitar and so he did. He was a great singer and uh, it was a lot of fun to play with him. But between songs, he was a gospel singer, between songs, he said, you'll hear people talk about reconciliation. He said that there'll be no reconciliation between black and white Australia except in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thought, well, there you go. That's uh, coming from someone who probably knows what he's talking about. But that was how he saw it, and he's right. The only thing that can truly bring people together is when we each understand that we're sinners in need of forgiveness, we have a great saviour whose forgiveness is equally applied to all who come to him. And so we find the ground of our equality in the cross, the fact that we all needed that forgiveness. Now, I've been praying for some time for a revival uh, in Aboriginal Australia. Um, Australia seems a pretty hard place towards the gospel at the moment. Uh, lots of people think they've become too clever for God, that we've uh, learnt more and we, we can put aside the things that we read about in the Bible. I think that's simply untrue. But um, there are genuinely wonderful Aboriginal Christians uh, who who have dynamic uh, church fellowships uh, I think it would be a wonderful thing if God grew a great revival in Aboriginal Australia that spread out to white Australia uh, to non-Aboriginal Australia uh, and so I've been praying for that because I think it would confound some of the wisdom of our so-called wise ones if that was to happen um, I don't know if you became aware of it but um, 
on Good Friday of this year, there was uh, uh, a wonderful demonstration of Aboriginal Christianity and unity, uh, a place called Hast's Bluff, uh, which is 230 kilometres west of Alice Springs. The community of Christian believers there uh, decided some years ago, back in 2009, that they wanted to erect a massive cross. And so they they raised the money and Ken Duncan, the famous photographer, uh, got behind the project and he enlisted friends like Ray Martin, the TV personality, and um, they were able to erect this 20-metre-tall stainless steel cross on the top of what's become known as Memory Mountain. And so it was erected on Good Friday and they had a special celebration on Easter Sunday of this year that even made it into um, in, into the the newspapers, I think. Um, it, it's a wonderful... The, the, the people of that community wanted to stand as a witness that everybody who drives by uh, can see that these people have given their lives to Christ. Um, let's pray that it has that powerful effect. But that reconciling power of the gospel that can, can come from no other source drives Paul to prayer. And so we read his prayer in verses 14 to 19. And so Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now Paul bows willingly and gratefully before the one to whom all knees will bow, that's the Lord Jesus, uh, his great and glorious King. Now, when you look at all of the pronouns there, the you and the yours, they're all plural. These are not singular. It's not to you and you and you. It's to yous, all of you. We don't have a a plural um, second-person pronoun in English, unfortunately, except for yous, which my mother said I shouldn't use. Uh, But that's what Paul means here. All of the pronouns here are plural. He's writing to churches. His prayer is for churches, not just for a bunch of individuals. So what's he praying? He's praying that they'll be strengthened as a church in a hostile world. He prays that they'll be strengthened in their spirit, their inner being, and he talks about the Holy Spirit living in each one, but in the church especially. So the church is, is, the, is the home of the Holy Spirit. Um, in, in chapter 2 we've read that, uh, that the church is a temple, and a temple is a building where God lives by his spirit. So verse 17, he he prays that the churches that he's praying for will be rooted and grounded in love. So love's to be the soil which enables our stability and our endurance. So love needs to be normal in the family of faith, in the church. And then in verse 18, he talks about a shared appreciation of all God's people, of the four dimensions of Christ's love, the breadth and length and height and depth. It's something that can't be contained. It's it's four dimensional, and and he wants that to he wants that love to fill the churches. So verses twenty to twenty one, as the chapter comes to an end, uh, God, Paul talks about God's glory in the church, and so the, he finishes with his doxology. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now Paul is driven to fervent praise here because God is able to do much more than we can ask or think or even imagine. So because of his power within us, which is the church, do we regard Mafra Community Church as a place where God's power is at work? Well, the answer is yes. Have you been saved? That was a powerful work of God in your life. Uh, To turn a dead heart to a living one, that was a powerful thing. But when a whole bunch of people together who have experienced God's power come together, then that power is made manifest. But what does it mean to be to, to God to be glory in the church? Glory is a word that we toss around, don't often think about what it really means. But in, in, in Bible terms, it literally means something that's uh, beautiful or wonderful or very bright, um, something that's splendid and radiant. So we can talk about the sun, the moon and the stars having a particular glory, the radiant heavenly bodies in the sky. The angels are glorious. Uh, we can talk about glory seen in Jesus' miracles. Well, to God be the glory in the church. God gives gifts to his churches according to the riches of his glory. Now, Paul prays now that God's glory will be seen in the church. Now, don't forget the church is an open display of God's reconciling power, his glorious reconciling power that even the angels are astounded by. And so do you want what God wants for the church, which is his glory to be manifested here? What are you prepared to do to make sure that it happens? Will you pray that it continues? Um, Do you believe in the church the way that God seems to here? Uh, Because Paul is writing, inspired by the Spirit, these words that are to instruct us about what the church means to God. The church is that organism on, on earth Uh, little demonstrations of his glorious saving power. Now, would you pray for that? I want to tell you a little story as I close about a a church uh, in Western Victoria near the town of Donald. Uh, There's a place called Granite Flat. Now, when I was a teacher up in Nil, I I heard about this Granite Flat church. I never visited it. Since then, I have visited it. Uh, but, But over the years, I've met quite a few people whose lives have been touched and formed in the Granite Flat church. Uh, but when I did visit it, visit it, um, it's, it's, it's a building in the corner of a sheep paddock. It's a, a farmer obviously carved off some of his land and made land available for this church. It was established in 1876 and it's still going uh, and it's still healthy and they're still supporting missionaries all around the world. Uh, I read a little bit about it um, and, and it turns out that they uh, had difficulties with their pastor at one stage, um, doctrinal difficulties I would say, that um, in the 1960s uh, they decided that um, the liberal gospel was not for them and so they went independent. I think they've since affiliated perhaps with the Baptist Union but they, they went independent because they decided they wanted the gospel to, to be taught according to the word of God. Uh, well, they're still going. Now, why is that when so many country towns um, church buildings are empty? Well, why is Granite Flat going? I reckon... It's because it was established on a very solid foundation of prayer. I reckon that's probably the answer. And so would you pray that Mafra Community Church endures as a community of love, uh, a community of unity, a place where God's power and his glory is displayed? Would you pray for that? Now, I've written um, a prayer out. I've just um, 
adapted Paul's prayer from verse 14 onwards. And I'm going to ask that you join me in praying that for for our church this week. Uh, What about if every day this week, perhaps you could make it a prayer every day of every week. Uh, But let's let's have a look at the prayer. I'm going to pray it now, so uh, follow along with me um, as we finish up. This is Paul's prayer for our church. Heavenly Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, according to the riches of your glory, may you grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we, Mafra Community Church, may be filled with all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you join with me in praying that for our church this week and trust that God will manifest himself in our church together in that way. Um, Let's do it. Uh, So please read the book. Please turn up to Bible study. Please pray the prayer. Please be thinking a bit hard about what God wants for our church and let's, uh, let's, with the power of the Holy Spirit, pull together to make sure it happens. Uh, See you next time.